When faced with certain death, running is sensible, but I think a man can make an unhealthy habit of it. Running can take on an importance of its own and become an excuse to avoid living a normal life. Michael J. Sullivan Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me this week. Uh, we have another uh, kind of bonus episode uh, focusing on a more fantasy historical aspect as opposed to real history, which is, of course, our standard fare here. But um, if you're our first time uh, listener, then just know that during October I've done kind of these less serious, less uh, real <laughs> episodes, or I guess la- um, less based in reality episodes. Um, and of course, if you're a returning listener, as always, I thank you so much. Um, the last, uh, last week's episode has really blown up the last couple days specifically. Um, not so much on YouTube, which is odd because the last Conan episode did great on YouTube. Uh, but this, this year, it seems like this one's, uh, really blown up the last three days. I've gotten, um, I think I've gotten total over a hundred downloads. So, um, Plus, with uh, what was happening on uh, YouTube, uh, you know, it ended up being a another decent episode. So, I hope you'll enjoy this one as much as you guys seem to have enjoyed the last one. Now, uh, that brings us, of course, to the topic. Um, as you may have gleaned from the quote, uh, this is a book written by uh, Michael J. Sullivan. He is the author and the name of the novel is The Age of Myth. Uh, now, Michael J. Sullivan uh, is a um, writer. Uh, he's done mostly fantasy, although I believe he does have a sci-fi series as well. Uh, and he was born on September 17th, 1961. Uh, according to, I think, his uh, like little uh, blog, he uh, began writing to kind of help uh, his daughter, who suffers dyslexia, uh, learn how to read and also to really just entertain himself. He, he kind of had a lot of ideas that uh, he wanted to get out there. Uh, and from what I understand, he, he kind of has a very good partnership with his wife, who is like a big sounding board and uh, kind of helps him organize and um, uh, it kind of serves as an editor slash uh, sub-author or co-author though I, I don't think she has claimed to you know have written that much of it but uh i think he gives her a good amount of credit uh in the foreword and things like that now um the reason i picked this book is i actually read it or i had had it recommended to me uh late last year uh it was due to um i was trying to find some uh works maybe set during the Bronze Age or the Neolithic period um, and you know that kind of thing I was kind of trying to find something along the lines of um, Clan of the Cave Bear uh, and this came up in like a, a kind of a listing um, with those similar types of um, time frame at least uh, but uh, make no mistake Age of Myth is uh, a fantasy world it is set I believe in the world of Elan uh, is the name of the the world in general um, though this is actually a prequel series, which I did not realize uh, when I first picked it up. Um, I 
I figured it was part of a series, like, you know, it was the beginning of a, you know, a set of novels. Um, and it was. Uh, but uh, I did not realize that this was uh, kind of the, um, the start of a prequel saga to a number of other books. Uh, those books being, um, I think collectively, it's the, well, again, it's the World of Elan, uh, but there's the uh, Riria Revelations and the Riria Chronicles. Um, and these were initially published in the, I think, the mid-2000s. And then they had some uh, that had been published uh, throughout uh, the 20-teens. Um, now, I have not read any of those other books. And I know that these stories here in in the age of myth do play like a kind of a well myths uh, they they are the foundational stories that will eventually show up in these later books now i have not read those later books i have no idea what the significance of most of these characters are um i've gotten through um the first book and a half of this um, of this series. So uh, I finished Age of Myth and now I am currently working my way through uh, the Age of Swords. So um, we might get a part two for this next year. I don't know. Or I might just do one kind of uh, later. Uh, as like a you know, random throwaway bonus episode I might need to do. Um, but uh, for the author himself, uh, again, I, I know uh, Michael J. Sullivan. I mentioned that. He also um, has been a, a very successful self-publisher. Uh, I think at one point his books initially came out with one of the bigger, um, with one of the bigger, like, um, fiction publishers. Uh, and then he eventually decided to kind of strike out on his own and do some self-publishing stuff uh, through Kickstarter and things like that. So um, he's been very successful with that. I think he was on the list of um, most successful self-published author ever, uh, or at least in the modern world, obviously. Um, but yeah, so uh, keep that in mind. Uh, so he must be doing something correctly. <laughs> Now, uh, let's see here and get to my notes. Uh, so, as I mentioned, uh, Age of Myth is, uh, is a high fantasy world. Uh, so, to that extent, um, in addition to humans, uh, you, of course, have uh, elves, which, you know, they're part and parcel of high fantasy worlds. Um, these elves refer to themselves as Frey. Uh, and that it's F-H-R-E-Y. There are also, I believe, references... Well, uh, I think it was in this one. There are some other uh, races. I forget which ones are explicitly mentioned in this or are just kind of offhandedly referenced. Uh, as I said, I'm in the middle of the second book. So there are other uh, fantasy races. Uh, I forget which ones show up. But the two primary, at least as far as the first book is concerned... Uh, are the Frey and the humans. Uh, and the humans are divided into two groups, the Rune and the uh, Gularun. Um, and the humans are very, um, very early along in their development. They are, 
very much in a Neolithic lifestyle. Uh, possibly uh, they are uh, also, and it's kind of hard to say because some of the clans are a little bit different from others, but uh, they are based on like a, a tribal society or a clan structure, uh, you know, extended family groups, all kind of loosely connected to each other uh, in some way and all tied to their clan's um, um, ancestral uh, fortress or hilltop uh, communities. These are very small, you know, they, they're not true cities. Uh, they're focused around like a center, like Longhouse, uh, that a chief rules, uh, and uh, they of course have other um, people with positions of responsibility. Uh, chiefs have um, their wives who are part of the power structure of the village, but they also have their shields, uh, which are their bodyguards slash uh, right hand men. Uh, there are wise women, keepers of stories. Of course, you always have your various skilled. Um, Specialists, uh, not just things like uh, farmers. They or uh, you know, uh, animal handlers. They have people who are very good with the loom. They have people who are very good with uh, other uh, tools as well. Uh, now you also have uh, the elves. Uh, now they have a much more advanced uh, social structure. Uh, they. Um, are also more advanced technologically speaking from the humans this would make sense as these elves are very similar to a lot of other uh, fantasy concept with elves uh, they are much longer lived than humans they are physically more skilled than humans uh, and they um, also possess uh, magic or at least active magic use uh, as far as the world is concerned uh, they have uh, but this is a fairly new concept to them as well uh, and again new is relative when you're you know capable of living you know a, a few thousand years um, the elves uh, had been kind of locked in a you know a very long standing uh, power structure or a power struggle, excuse me, between themselves. Um, they, you know, had a lot of infighting. At least that's what you get from the description of the elves. Uh, and they have recently kind of um, put this um, this kind of enmity to rest uh, between each other. At least um, the elves have their own kind of uh, family uh, clans and structures though they're a little bit more rigid and each clan seems to have uh, a specialty kind of conferred upon them um, but again this is something that has recently been changed um, as far as the elves are concerned um, they uh, they were uh, before long led by um, or before not much longer than the start of the novel, they were led by a uh, Miralith. Uh, that is the name of this newest clan, um, and they are the ones that practice the art, which is their term for magic. Uh, and they have um, 
lost the the founding Mirrolith slash uh, Thane, uh, which is the term for their ruler. Uh, this is Phenolis uh, or Phenolaus. I'm not sure how they want to stress the why in this situation, um, but she was, uh, you know, again long serving. She had been able to kind of. Um, put aside these uh, long-standing conflicts and unite the fray under her banner. And she has uh, kind of instituted a policy um, for uh, transfers of power, uh, peaceful transfers of power. Um, Essentially, um, once the Fane dies, any fray is allowed to uh, essentially blow a special horn to challenge for uh, the right to rule as the next fane. Um, now, this is a little difficult as the um, uh, Mirrolithes are able to use magic, and they're able to use magic uh, extremely um, fiercely uh, and with a lot of impact. So, uh, challenging them would pose a problem. Now, Again, I'm not too far in this series, um, but even I could see early on that this was going to become a bit of a sore subject. Um, if you have a you know ostensibly a way to change uh, your government or you know you know participate in your government, you're really not allowed to participate if the person you're supposed to be fighting against is immortal. Um, but that said, um, you know, so it, you can easily see why um, perhaps um, uh, why there uh, there might be some uh, conflicts brewing, at least among the Frey end. Um, now, the Frey, again, they are very specialized groups. They are very um, um, stratified. Uh, into their various uh, factions or clans. Um, the only um, real um, group that's gone into detail, at least as opposed to the um, the Mirrolith, the, the only other elf clan that they really have gone uh, into detail on, excuse me, uh, is the Instaria. Um, and they are the warrior class of the fray. Um, now they do give the. I think they do mention them and they number them. I think there are seven tribes uh, of elves, uh, but again, they are all more or less uh, hierarchical, uh, hierarchical and kind of um, fairly stratified. I think if your parent is one, um, you're the other. Though I. Do you think they mentioned that there is intermarriage between the two? And I guess at that point, you just kind of pick the one that you're more um, suited to. Uh, or they, they also may have some type of educational system. But of course, if you have any skill at all with the art, uh, you would want to join the Mirrolith uh, there. Of course, again, the ones with uh, most of the political power minus what, you know, they the other groups have just from tradition um 
if you can get into the Mary Leaf, uh, obviously you would want to take that, especially with their uh, apparent permanent hold or semi-permanent hold on power, at least as far as the first book is concerned. Uh, now, there are, um, of course, several human characters, uh, but uh, in terms of human-elf interaction, the humans consider the god, uh, the Frey, excuse me, essentially they're gods. Uh, they are virtually worshipped by some of the humans, uh, and as far as humans can tell, they are in, invulnerable to attack, um, at least, you know, from a human. Uh, they can obviously be killed, you know, in certain situations, I'm sure, um, but they really don't go too much into that. Uh, and especially with um, their technology, they're seen even more as magical. Uh, and then, of course, once they actually possess magic, that's something even more. Uh, but the Frey do use the humans uh, to a certain extent. They use them as kind of... Uh, uh, conscripts or mercenaries to fight a number of different um, uh, threats um, and to kind of keep uh, population control on each other. Uh, the humans vastly outnumber the fray. Um, but uh, to kind of, I guess, keep an extra kind of, you know, lid on them, they will occasionally, you know, rile them up to war with each other or use them to fight some of the other uh, creatures kind of prowling in the in the forests and the outskirts of the Frey uh, Empire. Um, now, uh, they are one of these, uh, one of the ways they control these humans with is gifts. They, um, gift uh, swords made of bronze, which is something that humans uh, really don't have a firm grasp of, uh, excuse me, grasp of. And that kind of sees the start of this uh, story, uh, at least the human side of the story, with a young man named Wraith. He and his father, uh, Herkimer, are trying to find a place to settle. And they get too close to the fray accepted border with the humans. Um, and it is while there that um, he and his father encounter uh, a uh, man known as Malcolm, uh, who is a slave to one of the... Um, one of the fray, uh, and I forget the fray's name. I, uh, I know that they said it, but I didn't write it down in my notes. But essentially, um, the fray does not take kindly to them um, attempting to settle on their land, A and he, you know, kind of uh, taunts uh, Wraith's father, who is a very proud warrior, uh, very stubborn, and he essentially kind of goads him and then he kills him in front of Wraith and Wraith is very um, uh, upset about this and of course tries to avenge his father with the bronze sword that he had been gift or that his father had been gifted for fighting uh, for the fray uh, and it's at this point I think during the struggle uh, Malcolm who is the slave of the uh, fray uh, throws a rock essentially at the back of his head 
uh, and knocks the fray unconscious, uh, and then Wraith uh, delivers the coup de grace. Uh, now, the death of a um, fray at the hands of a human is something that uh, would never have been imagined and sets off a very large scale chain of events, um, you know, and essentially starts the story off. Uh, it is the, you know, the uh, call to adventure, the you know, the inciting event, all that kind of stuff, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so Wraith, uh, with the help of Malcolm, who is, and again, I'm only like two books in, something's going on with Malcolm. He is not, uh, he is not normal uh, human. I, he, he looks human, he's described as being human, um, but he knows way more than he should. Uh, and, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know what's going on with uh, Malcolm, but he is definitely much more than um, an, a, than, a, than a slave. Um, now, there are other humans, uh, mostly female. It's a very female-heavy cast, at least in terms when it comes to the humans. You have Persephone. Uh, she's kind of a, uh, a chief's wife. Uh, you also have um, Bryn, who... Um, she's kind of a young, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the best term to describe her. She is described good at, uh, as being good at, um, uh, spinning, uh, making clothes, cloth, that kind of thing. But she's also, uh, being trained as the keeper of her clan's history. Uh, she is, um, fairly young. I think she's younger than Wraith by a few years, uh, but still um, still old enough to kind of have a voice and be recognized for her skills. Uh, she is being trained, again, to be her, uh, her village's uh, keeper. Uh, you have Mara, who is kind of Persephone's uh, friend, or she's very outspoken, at least. I don't know if they're necessarily friends, but she and Bryn are also extremely close. Uh, you have Suri, who is kind of an outcast, I guess, or maybe not necessarily an outcast. She doesn't belong to uh, the clan uh, that uh, Persephone and Bryn and Mara live with, uh, but she lives close by in the forest. She's being, she's essentially a mystic. Uh, she's mentored by a woman who I believe her name was Tura. Um, and uh, she's uh, she kind of delivers messages based on signs and portents she reads in the weather, the woods, uh, the animals, that kind of thing. She she's there to uh, kind of deliver warnings, and she's very young. Um, I, it's it's commented on several times by many of the people, um, and. Um, this causes her problems when trying to deal with people. She's also not at all accustomed to regular human society, or at least the society of the clans. Um, and uh, she also has a giant pet wolf, which, you know, kind of uh, for this period of uh, history, not that unusual. Uh, all the Stark kids had them in Game of Thrones. So why wouldn't she? Uh, but this wolf, of course, um, is not necessarily welcome and causes her a little bit of issues as well. 
there are other human characters. Um, there is, uh, let's see, Suri, Malcolm. Uh, there's also uh, Gifford, who is a potter, but also uh, he's uh, disfigured or um, uh, disabled to a certain extent physically. Uh, his arms are very strong, uh, but his legs don't work very well, and he has trouble uh, talking. Uh, then you have um, uh, Roan, who she is kind of a um, she is a f- former slave, um, and uh, she was, I guess, a member of the um, the butcher's household, or uh, I can't remember if he's a butcher or leather maker, but he's called the Carver. Uh, not a very pleasant name. Uh, and he was kind of a dick from what I was able to determine. Uh, uh, but that's all I'll say on that one. Uh, but she is also fairly uh, inquisitive and inventive. Uh, and um, again, we're jumping ahead a little bit to the second book. But she is very useful when it comes to um, advancing humanity's level of technology. Once she has interactions uh, with certain other uh, communities in those stories. Um, but uh, so far, uh, again, I'm only a book and a half in of, like, I believe it's the six book, six book series. Um, and it, it does show, I think, uh, a decent depiction of uh, transitioning from one type of I guess, uh, era to another in terms of uh, how technology can spread and spread rapidly, uh, at least um, for some of the later book. Um, but uh, also it does give a kind of a good idea of how uh, more advanced technology can be seen to uh, less technologically advanced people. Uh, now, all of this is happening kind of an accelerated pace, obviously, Um but that's kind of the, um, I guess that's kind of one of the things you have to deal with when you're talking about books. Uh, you, you of course, could set years in between different novels, but um, obviously you, you lose some time with your characters. See, you miss a seeing out on their development or their uh, struggles, that kind of thing. Um, but it also shows, um, you know, a very interesting idea of how. Uh, societies cha- uh, can change over time, where as the humans, you know, they're being forced to undergo these changings by a very existential threat to their very existence. Uh, the fray society, it's changed due to this uh, this introduction of this art and this creation of this new uh, social caste or social clan or fraternity might be a better way to think of it, uh, that is very new compared to the other six fraternities who have all had a long time to kind of develop a somewhat balanced sense of uh, power and importance. Now, obviously, this was not very stable. Uh, we, we've seen this due to the you know, reference to the elves uh, fighting amongst themselves, that kind of thing. But this, this new clan being introduced uh, and stopping this you know it has helped them stabilize and create a uh, you know a fairly strong centralized government Um, it is not necessarily the most popular 
government. Uh, it does have a lot of cracks in its foundation that maybe the previous uh, ruler, uh, for whatever reason, either didn't try to patch up or who didn't believe that uh, they would need to patch up uh, because they perhaps they were trying to integrate uh, the Merolith cast into this old social structure. And it may work, uh, who knows. But uh, there's, of course, going to have to be a reckoning to some of the events that mainly play out between the elves. Um, uh, and, of course, this uh, this human equation. To the humans, you know, it's very much like, oh, God, we're going to be destroyed. But to the elves, um, that's something that the frontier outposts are going to deal with. Like, the... This isn't a huge concern to the centralized Frey government. Uh, they have ordered the humans to be uh, wiped out or dispersed or whatever. Um, but the details really don't matter too much to them because they see it as a fait, uh, fait accompli. Uh, they, they have no doubt that the humans are, will be defeated or wiped out or what, what have you. Um. So that is, of course, something that I'm interested to see. And I've seen a little bit of it, um, even into book two. Uh, the, the war with the humans is not uh, very high priority to the centralized government. They, they've given orders. They expect it to be done. But they are not aware of the specifics. And they, quite frankly, don't probably really don't even care that much other than, you know, uh, it's a kind of a black eye to uh, the current Thane, uh, who is, uh, of course, the son of the of the very famous, very powerful Thane, uh, and of course to the the current Thane's uh, son, uh, Mondule, who is the grandson of the previous Thane, and he he becomes a much bigger character in book two, um, but uh, also uh, there are some. You know some fray uh, characters who are uh, also part of the story. Um, there is uh, Nephron, uh, who is a uh, kind of a elfish ranger. Uh, he's tied into this with Malcolm. Uh, his father uh, was the leader of uh, of their uh, clan. He uh, is very important to the first steps of. Um, the the fray side of the story and then of course you have uh arian uh or arian i'm not sure how she pronounces uh that name there but she was a student of the former fane and she was also the tutor of the uh, the princesses essentially mandule so um more human characters uh than fray characters um so I'm sure that that will, you know, kind of um, play out uh, going forward. Uh, also, I should say that, you know, not all the elves are necessarily interested in wiping out the humans. They, they don't necessarily think it's a good idea, but that just seems to be the policy. And again, with your all of your political power concentrated in the hands of one person who, you know, may be just trying to send a message to consolidate that power... You know, there's not a whole lot they can necessarily do about it without becoming uh, 
traders or something along those lines. Uh, but uh, yeah, at least for the first book, I recommend it. Now I know a six book series, um, you you might want to know a little bit more. And um, I will say book two so far, better than book one. Um, now, I don't know if it's going to continue to go that way. And again, I have no idea how this ties into the other series. I think these are set like 3,000 years in the past. Um, I guess conceivably some of these elves might show up. That might be part of what, you know, of why it's a kind of a past um story um but i don't know exactly how it all ties in i don't know how the world has progressed i don't know what technology level they're in uh at that time but here they are uh kind of in that at least the humans are in the copper bronze age type uh, type situation uh but yeah um solid book i'd give it uh i'd give it a solid seven out of ten at least for me um it could be a little slow. It can be a little plotting. Uh, there are some decent mysteries. Uh, I'm assuming that there are some that he's kind of draw, drawing out through several of the books, but there are a couple that are answered. And I kind of, um, one of the big twists when it came to Surrey, uh, I kind of suspected. Uh, so, um, but I think for younger readers, maybe, you know, it, there's a lot of really good, like, small mysteries that they might really enjoy uh, to to read or to hear about so uh but yeah i think this is a good place to stop for this episode um i'm going to be recording another episode shortly after this one this is going to be that one that i've been trying to get out that extra one um and then next week i believe i think it's the one next week that um will be like an actual history episode and then we'll be back with the final kind of bonus episode uh that following week but um yeah i'll um i'll 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 confirm that i'll try to make sure of my schedule but um yeah i hope you've all enjoyed uh if you have any questions feedback uh constructive criticism please let me know you can reach me at war at revpod at gmail.com you can reach me via direct message on twitter you can comment on any of the youtube videos i have up uh you can drop by when i'm live streaming uh i generally do it most of the week uh monday through thursday usually if i'm at home maybe an hour or two on the weekends uh kind of just play it by ear but yeah uh However you'd like, um, feel free to reach out. Thank you all. I hope you have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.